Welcome to the Standardized Patients Podcast. I am your host and sparkling water lover, Katie Culligan. In this podcast, we dive into the who, the what, why, and huh of this quirky industry that no one has ever heard of. So what's a standardized patient, you may ask? Well, a standardized patient is a person who portrays a patient to help students practice clinical and interpersonal skills they need to be effective caregivers. Lovely. Thank you so much. That almost sounded like it was a narration and a nice oh. audiobook. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wonderful. This is our guest, Emily Sucher, today. Emily has been an SP for about seven years now, a GTA Gouda for almost six years, and a PETA, PETA, for five. And uh, they will die on the hill that clinically accurate medicine and patient-centered caregiving are both necessary to be a good doctor. And if you think they're at odds, you were wrong. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Emily, for being here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I love that. I really, <laughs> so you feel very strongly about this and I, I totally agree actually. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, it's something that I try to tell all my students because a lot of times in an effort to complete a checklist or to get through an exam and they, they want to get all the right answers, you get a lot of fixers in med school who want to be correct. And a lot of times they don't want to deal with communicating respectfully to a patient because they have in their heads that that's going to take so much extra time and they just don't mm -hmm. have time to do that. And often I will demonstrate, like, you just need to say this thing that'll take 10 extra seconds and will ultimately make you your job easier and faster. There's a uh, one exam that I know that we've both worked on where they have to do a lot of physical exam maneuvers in a very strict amount of time. Sure. And that's where a lot of those, you know, patient respect moments get dropped. So I insist that when doing the thyroid exam, which is, you know, feeling on a patient's neck from behind, mm -hmm. give them a heads up. Don't just come at them from behind and grab them by the neck. <laughs> it is a little disconcerting when somebody just all of a sudden steps behind you and then you feel two hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, like when I say, you know, like a warning would be helpful. Sometimes they think that they need to give a monologue about like what you're going to do. I'm, I'm going to, you're going to feel my neck from behind. And that's so that I can feel if blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. you can just say, I'm going to check your thyroid. So I'll be touching your neck from behind. Okay. All right. Here are my hands. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And, and you're right. There is a, a really interesting balance between being able to communicate with the patient of what you're going to do and also not creating a whole novel of how you're going to do it and letting the patient know ahead of time, which I know a lot of students kind of go from one extreme to the other and just finding that balance over the course of their med student life. Yeah, exactly. The whole Gouda, PETA, let's talk a little bit about this. So what is a Gouda? What is a GTA? I became a Gouda before I became a PETA, but maybe I'll mention PETA first, because that's a sure. good jumping off point. Sure. Absolutely. So a PETA, P-E-T-A, is a physical examination teaching associate. And as a PETA, we're sort of an interpreter for the students between the clinical side of medicine and the patient side of medicine. So we teach them the technique of physical exams, how to perform them. We give them the clinical context of what they're looking for. We also tell them how to perform it respectfully on an actual patient so that they don't get used to just going through the motions on a mannequin mm -hmm. and being surprised when they actually react. So PETAs, we teach all sorts of physical exams, but Aguda is sort of a specialty 
offshoot of that. So GUDA stands for General Urinary Teaching Associate. So as GUDAs, we teach the more vulnerable, invasive exams. So mm-hmm. for me, I teach breast and pelvic exams. Okay, breast and pelvic. Mm-hmm. Um, and how often would you say you teach these? Uh, it depends on the contracts and the different academic curriculums. Usually they would have, for the one contract that I just completed, usually they would have second year medical students learning these exams, but then they also had third years coming back who had skipped their previous session. Mm-hmm. One thing that was especially wild was that the second years who we just saw, because they had been virtual for their first year of medical school, mm-hmm. this was their first time doing a physical exam on a patient. Yeah. The breast and pelvic exam before they learned how to like look into an ear or something. Wow. And how, how was that for you as a, <laughs> it, it was a, you know, they were definitely far more nervous and we're pretty used to getting nervous students. Part of the job description is helping them be comfortable uh, with the topic as well. Just acknowledging that, yes, this is a vulnerable set of exams. You may have patients who are nervous. It's okay mm-hmm. if you're nervous right now, but this was I think, kind of an unusual setup because usually they've had practice with patients mm. to get the normal that normal interaction figured out before they add this layer on top of it. Because when we're first teaching new medical students and they first start doing physical exams, they're already just practicing touching another human being in this way, in this role where, you know, I I talk sometimes about the power dynamic um, involved Mm -hmm. when they come into a room with a white coat, they're going to have that power of expertise or at least perceived expertise, (laughs) even when they're just a first year medical student and they might not be an expert yet. But if you walk in a room with a white coat, you have that type of authority. Yeah. The patients are going to, you know, they're going to be deferential to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. their job as the caregiver to, you know, still remember that you're just a human too and ask permission, give appropriate warnings and respect that patient autonomy. Now question for the Gouda, the pelvic and breast exams, for example, when you're teaching, are you having it performed on you? Yes. So I teach it on myself. Oh, okay. Yes. So I guess I want to rewind a little bit to how you got started into all of it. Yeah. Well, I first became an SP and that got me within the department. So I was pretty recently out of college and I, as an actor with, you know, nobody had really taught me about freelance scheduling, like of being a <laughs> professional freelancer. Yeah. I was the examples and stories that I'd always gotten are either, oh, you're a full-time actor or you're doing full-time something else. Mm-hmm. I didn't really understand about cobbling together different contract jobs. So I was, you know, temping for a little while. And then I got my first out-of-town acting job. It was a Summerstock show. So I was up in the skills for about six weeks and it was just beautiful. And for that short period, I was, I just had the show I was working on and, you know, I had housing like a block from the theater and it was such an amazing experience that I knew that, okay, like I, I need to support myself, but I also need to find a way where I can say yes to things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if I'm full-time somewhere, I can't just be like, 
piecing out for six weeks or right. yeah. <laughs> the company might fire you. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd heard about SP work from other actors in the area, but I don't know, I may have even applied, but then never heard anything. But shortly after that, I think I had been just putting applications in different places. And I got called into two different schools, like within a week of each other. Oh, wow. Yeah. So then I got hired at those two schools pretty quickly. And because there are so much professional overlap mm -hmm. between them and like geographic overlap, because mm -hmm. with the DMV area, you've got Maryland, like we got Baltimore, you've got DC proper, you've got Northern mm -hmm. Virginia. So that gradually the work at the school started to add up. And then mm -hmm. once I started working at one place, then they would ask me for more cases and things like that. Sure. And that means, you know, playing different characters and different ailments mm -hmm. uh, when we say cases. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I've been doing that for a little bit, still doing a couple of random temp things to add up. And I was at uh, one school when they mentioned that they also needed more Goudas. And mm -hmm. at first I was just mostly trying to get more work on my schedule, just mm -hmm. from a financial standpoint of just cobbling <laughs> everything together to make rent and all of that. So because it is a more invasive set of exams and requires some expertise in how to teach it, I was at first just like, oh, this is the highest amount of hourly pay that I've seen. That's mm -hmm. yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. So I went into that and they first have a interview or they talk to you about it and see if that's something you're interested in. And then there's sort of an intro session where a Gouda, so a, somebody who's already doing this work would teach you and you would basically be a student. So um, I was able to perform the breast and pelvic exam on a, another instructor with them guiding me along. And that was also to see like, okay, now that you know what's in it, you good going forward? Is, is this for you? Because it's not for everybody. I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> Me being one of those people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep going. And I actually trained at a very accelerated pace because mm -hmm. since I didn't have as much work at the time, this was six years ago or so. So I was really new to all of this and I didn't have as much work coming in, I had all of this spare time to kind of do my training. And then they mm. saw, oh, you're, you're making really good time. Do so you think you can do this one contract for us at the end of the month? And I was like, sure. <laughs> so I ended up getting trained in like less than two weeks. Oh. I didn't have anything to compare it to, but apparently mm. that was really fast. And I found out later now that I've trained some other Gudas myself, most people take several months. Oh, wow. Okay. Some of that's the material itself. And some of that is also navigating around schedules. So I think that I picked up on the material quickly, but I also just had a very open schedule at the time. I was just like, yes, give me paid hours, please. Yeah, exactly. And the rest is history, right? So then you became yeah. a Yeah. So I, I did it kind of in reverse. I was a Gouda first. I was doing the most invasive exams. Yeah. And then my supervisor said, well, you're doing this and you learned really fast. Are you interested in teaching other physical exams? And so then I started the pedo work after that. I was like, oh, everything else is easy. Compared right. That's very true. And, you know, I have to say, I'd heard about the Gouda work. Believe it or not, a, an old roommate of mine from college, her sister, unrelated, I think she was teaching students, but I do believe that she was getting paid to be a body to have pelvic exams, exam, oh, you know, performed yeah, on her. Yeah. 
And she was not in that world at all. You know, she wasn't an actor, but I always thought it was fascinating. And so I knew that I had the opportunity if I wanted to reach out to some of these programs that maybe I could do it. And understanding that the pay rate is very nice. <laughs> um, it just, it is a higher pay rate. Just generally, you know, there's a standardized patient pay rate for normal standardized patient work. And then there's like a PETA or standardized patient instructor work where you get paid more than you would because you're doing a lot more while teaching the students. And then with the Gouda, as far as I'm aware, it's a much higher rate even from that. So it is a kind of a, a tiered system due to the the job requirements and yeah. so knowing that like I would love to make that kind of money, but I didn't have it in me to want to have those performed exams on me, you know, even if I knew it would be making a difference because of how my comfort was. Yeah. And it's also very different to be in there as an instructor. Mm. and to just be a body because I've done a couple of those cases and I'm never doing that again. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Where you yeah. can't um, give them feedback in real time. Or your feedback is dismissed because Ooh. you're not there as an instructor. So you don't have that clout. I think that they were specifically, there was a case where they wanted students to practice pelvic exams and they specifically reached out to Gouda's for this, figuring that, oh, well, you do this, so you'll be comfortable. And it's a completely different experience. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's may I ask, is that the same pay rate or is it a lower? Uh, no, it's a lower pay rate because you're not there for your expertise as well. So you're not wow. there, you know, imparting knowledge. It's just sort of, I don't know, extra money for pain and suffering. But... Yeah, not, not sounding so, yeah. so hot. <laughs> yeah, because when I'm teaching, it's actually incredibly empowering because mm. I'm in control. My knowledge is respected. I have a lot of things that I think are really important to say. And I mean, whether or not they land is ultimately up to the student, sure. but I'm in an environment where I'm heard and respected. Uh, yeah, I can say things that I think are important. I'm also mm -hmm. teaching specifically on my body. So I might say, okay, other patients, uh, anatomy may be a bit different. Here's how you perform this on me. Mm -hmm. So sure. I also 99% of the time, I'll say, I don't want to speak in total absolutes, but then it's not painful as well because I know mm -hmm. how to teach them and direct them on on me that makes them aware of common mistakes so that mm -hmm. they know not to do them. I can give corrections in the moment, mm -hmm. but when you're supposed to be a patient, generally not supposed to interfere with the process. And when I was there doing that, you know, they were like, well, you're, yeah, of course you're still human. You can say, ouch, if they hurt you. And I'm like, but then the damage has been done. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And actually I can speak to that, like as a PETA or um, a standardized patient instructor, and I'm sure other schools have even different names for that same type of role where you're teaching the med students. I think a lot of us are a little, we, we get to be cautious about, let's say ear exams when mm -hmm. they're, you know, putting the <laughs> speculum inside of your ear or mouth exams where I always tell my students <laughs> when they're when they're about to inspect my mouth with a tongue depressor that I, I've had a lot of oral gum surgery in my mm -hmm. life. I've spent way too much money on it. I'll just leave it at that. And it's very, very delicate. My poor little mouth just has been through a lot. So I always tell them, you know, this is really important that you're extra careful with this. If I didn't have a voice to speak up because I'm in the middle of being a patient, but I'm not allowed to give in-person feedback at that point, that's really tricky because it actually physically affects us. Or if the speculum goes too far when they're doing the ear or nose exam, um, it can be very painful and it's hard to not be able to say anything sometimes. Yeah, it can be 
really demoralizing. And uh, in that particular situation, it was also, you know, I know that the student was doing what he was instructed to do, mm. but I felt incredibly violated. Oh, and then yeah. when I was giving feedback after the fact, and I mentioned, you know, trying to be as gentle as possible. And I said, I also am an instructor in this area. So here's some advice that could have prevented some of this pain. And mm -hmm. I know that I wasn't there to teach, but because it affected me physically, mm -hmm. I was, I'm not going to withhold information. Right. And then the faculty member who was supervising them said, well, I thought you did great. Oh, no. So they just negated everything oh, I said. That's rough. Uh, that's so I'm right. like, oh, my gosh, I feel just awful. Like, yeah, physically, emotionally. Yeah, all of that. And, and I wrote in saying that I would not do that event ever again. Well, good for you for standing mm -hmm. up for yourself. And, and did you mention why? Yeah. 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 I, I spoke about it and thankfully like, you know, our supervisor there was incredibly compassionate and respectful. And I think they've had enough other issues that they don't actually do that case anymore. Ah, okay. Okay. That's good to know. Well, I'm sorry that that happened to you. That's just awful. Yeah. But that's um, just to say like a completely different situation for me when I'm there and when I'm in the instructor. Right. The different roles of mm -hmm. that. And so I have to ask, I know you mentioned with the Gouda, you do breast and pelvic. Now, are there Goudas that do rectal exams for the students? There are. And so we actually, we do a abbreviated, we do a rectovaginal exam as part mm -hmm. of our checklist. It's another way to palpate internally for the uterus and the ovaries. You might be able to feel it better depending on the angle of the patient's uterus. So if you have a retroverted uterus, you might be able to feel it better in a rectal exam. Mm -hmm. but it's a pretty brief, you know, they, they still separate these by gender. And I think that's mm -hmm. really out of date, but just using the terms they use mm -hmm. on the, on the medical list, there's the female exam and the male exam. Ah, uh, gotcha. You know, mm -hmm. so there are air quotes, male goodas as well. But mm -hmm. I also think that it's very important to degender physical exams in general, ongoing effort for patient respect and for sure autonomy. And, and also, again, clinically accurate. <laughs> right. Is, you know, is that something that the schools are working on? Some schools are, I think, are working on it more than others. And it's one of those things where within my sessions, I make a point to make students aware of that. I'm intentional with my language. I you know, a few things like instead of defaulting to coming in the room and saying, hi, Mrs. Patient, um, Ms. Patient or something, just look right. at the name on the chart, make sure that you're HIPAA compliant. All right, mm -hmm. here's your first name, last name, date of birth. How may I address you today? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, yeah. <laughs> I would and say honestly, any other assumptions are very outdated. Yes, I 100% agree. And, and you know, it's interesting. My full name is Kathleen, but I go by Katie. And so whenever people call me Kathleen, you know, Kathleen, come on in. It's fine. Like, I, I'll certainly answer to it. It's my name. But I will often be like, you can call me Katie. That's fine. And, you know, see if they take that, if you will. And if they don't, I just feel a formality that's happening. And that's okay. But if there are any med students or just, you know, people that are listening to this, taking that away of, yeah, asking how the patient would like to be addressed because they might have a nickname. They might want to keep bit formal they yeah. might want to be first name just last name any any of those yeah. things they might have a just a, any different way that's more respectful to call them than their legal name right because 
sometimes name changing is cumbersome and expensive. So if you're not going to call them by the right name, there's only so far you can get if you want a positive relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Good report. Yeah. What would you say is the most rewarding part of like either the Gouda or PETA work that you've done? I think it's really gratifying when students express a new way of looking at things. If I brought something to their attention that was maybe outside of just the basics of a checklist, mm -hmm. if they stop looking at seeing patients as just completing a checklist. Yeah, because I am part of the reason why I was into this work when I first heard it was a thing, because I've had some pretty awful experiences at the doctor mm -hmm. as condescended to and dismissed. So it's a little bit of going back and trying to pay it forward for the future. Yeah. And especially in some of these exams, which are not only so vulnerable and where there's a lot of anxiety involved, but there's also so much misinformation. Mm -hmm. I always begin my Gouda sessions with a bit of a preface. And I say that there's a big umbrella under which constitutes healthy and normal. So not everybody who is healthy and normal is going to look the same. And we see that variety walking down the street with like faces and people of different heights. We don't see the different vulvas that people have walking around on the streets. <laughs> so a lot of people are going to come in. Yeah, a lot of people might come in thinking that they're abnormal because mm -hmm. they don't see how different people actually look. That's such a good point. Yeah. And so for the, the doctors to help normalize that too, assuming everything is healthy and normal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because there's, you know, there, there are a lot of concerns that you know, are really valid. So I say, I told them to take concerns seriously, but also validate when you don't have concerns. Right. Like if a patient comes in, I tell this when I'm doing PETA as well, but uh -huh. when I try to get students to think about clinical reasoning, mm -hmm. I say, if a patient comes in with a headache and all you know is that they have a headache, a headache could mean there's pollen in the air. A headache could mean they have a brain tumor. You don't right. want to miss the brain tumor, but you also <laughs> don't want to assume that everyone has a brain tumor. Right. Checking, checking off a few boxes to make sure that you find out more information before mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah. So when they start kind of looking beyond that, that's, I think, the most rewarding thing. Yeah, that's really cool. And what would you say, especially with Gouda work, but you could speak on PETA too, what is the biggest downfall you see with students? I think, I mean, like I said, when they think that the patient is just a collection of symptoms, when mm -hmm. they start treating you like a mannequin or mm -hmm. when they don't ask to just untie your gown or something, or at least right. warn you, like, you know, even when they're, when it's kind of undressing me in ways that aren't, you know, it's, it's not like I'm overly exposed, but I don't feel like a person when someone comes up to me and starts rolling up my sleeve without asking, mm -hmm. it's like, I could probably do that for you and it would be faster and more comfortable mm -hmm. for <laughs> everybody just, involved. Yeah. Like the, you feel like a diagnosis sometimes mm -hmm. or an assignment perhaps because we're working with med students that you know that they know that you know it's fake so they want to just right. get through it rather than treat you like a human but unfortunately this is also the time for them to practice those skills as well because when they do go out into the real world not only are we actual humans that we would like to be dealt with in a professional and respectful way as sps and pitas and gudas but also you know they will need those skills soon enough mm -hmm. for people that are paying them. Exactly. To, yeah. Like our 
job gives them an opportunity to test their knowledge in a low risk environment. Mm -hmm. But if they can't buy into that, then, then they're going to be basically test driving their skills on patients who may actually be going through something traumatic in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, think sometimes students who just like won't buy in yeah. can be very frustrating. That willing suspension of disbelief, knowing that, yeah, we're in a suspended environment, but knowing that there's a reason behind it and mm -hmm. that utilize that. I am with you. And one thing I do want to share, Emily is a phenomenal intimacy choreographer and director. And I have actually worked with Emily on a show with some of that. And so not only is Emily an actor, but also you know, how those go hand in hand as an intimacy choreographer for the stage and a Gouda or a Pita. I mean, they definitely do. In fact, I was just saying at a, among a group of intimacy professionals, because a lot of us found that field in a lot of different ways as well. And my Gouda work was a lot of what brought me there because I was bringing a lot of consent education into my teaching mm -hmm. because just like with theater, the patient doctor dynamic, there's a lot of assumptions there. They assume that because we're here for this purpose, and I'm saying they very like abstractly, <laughs> but sure, sure. maybe many doctors assume mm -hmm. that, oh, okay, you came here for a physical exam, so I can touch you however I want. Mm -hmm. And a lot of actors and directors and, you know, a lot of old school thinking is, well, you signed up to be in this business, so you don't get a chance to say no. Mm. And not only is that, you know, <laughs> incredibly you know, tragic, mm -hmm. uh, just forgetting that people are people and, and not taking the time to treat somebody like a person when it truly doesn't take that much extra time. Yeah. But it also will lower the quality of your work because mm -hmm. in medicine, if someone isn't safe speaking up with you, if somebody just assumes that, oh, this hurts and it's probably supposed to be painful, so I'll just be quiet about it, mm -hmm. they're not going to open up to the doctor about something that's painful. Yeah. In theater, if nobody talks about why the characters are kissing the scene or how, <laughs> not only are you going to run the risk of somebody being, you know, awkward or even hurt. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times that'll come out in the storytelling because it'll be just as vague and confusing and <sighs> vulnerable to weird timing miscommunications. Yeah. So when you set everything in advance, then you can rely on your skills. Mm -hmm. The tools. Yeah, exactly. Once Absolutely. you have those practices in place, when you're working in a consent-based environment, mm -hmm. then you have the freedom to do good work. Absolutely. Wow. What a good takeaway, <laughs> especially, you know, from between theater and, and film and of course, mm -hmm. medical school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that they're a lot more alike than people think just mm -hmm. mostly because of both professions involve closer physical contact than, you know, people who work in an office or something. Exactly. exactly. They don't have to navigate a lot of those nuances yeah. and, and here you do. So that's what gave me that interest and that vocabulary to work in that space. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And for all of your wisdom, pretty obvious that you know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> that you're coming from a very intellectual and, and practice and skilled place. So, you know, I could talk to you about this for so much longer, but unfortunately we do have to wrap up. I just want to say thank you so much for being on our podcast, Emily. And if you'd like to find Emily online, you can find more information about upcoming events and things that Emily is doing at www.emily-suture.com. -E 
com. Thank you so much for having me. And of course, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the Standardized Patients Podcast. Thanks, as always, to Randy Sharp for the use of our theme song called Mr. Garita. And you can find their music at Artlist. Thank you, as always, of course, to Catherine Bobilek for behind-the-scenes work, audio post-production, and our fabulous cover art. That is our show. See you next time as we encounter more standards of standardized patient work. <laughs> <laughs>